there's a million cookbooks. Finding recipes isn't hard. I just Google recipes, but finding one that I like that resonates with me is hard. So that is this like, how do I find people who are relevant to me that I feel kind of a bond to a product? That's going to be the hard part because it's just swimming in the sea of noise. Like what is it about our ideal customer that they really, what they feel, what they think? How can we put stuff out there that calls to them? Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way, to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoy the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm talking with and learning from Aaron Ross. He's the co-author of From Impossible to Inevitable, which is the number one SaaS software as a service book on scaling up your SaaS organization and also the author of Predictable Revenue, which he tells me he didn't write until 2011 and it just feels as though I've had it in my head for much longer than 10 years. But he was at Salesforce, one of the early SDR leaders at Salesforce, and serves on the board of a number of SaaS businesses. Historically, lived and worked out of LA, Silicon Valley, but now lives in Edinburgh with some of his 10 children. And we chat about what's changed since predictable revenue was written, where the world has moved, what the implications are for sales and for executives as a result of the pandemic and how how almost the pandemic has broadened out spectrum. So whereas before success in outbound sales was in quite a narrow spectrum, if you were succeeding, it was in quite a narrow range and how that's broadened out in his experience and then how maybe even executive performance as a result of a spread of what work means has now broadened out and what people are doing to try and overcome their sense of overwhelm and exhaustion as 10 hour days back to back on zoom roll one into another so we chat about what works for him and then a complete new concept to me it might not be to you but if i say lit rpg does it mean a thing to you anyway we get onto that with his book recommendation towards the end so i enjoyed talking to aaron i've had his book in my head listened to him on other podcasts watched a number of his webinars and it's been hugely his work has been hugely influential in scaling sdr teams either that i've run or been involved in coaching with clients and so absolutely great for me to get to chat to him today i'm sure he'll enjoy it aaron ross living in Edinburgh, originally from oh, Palo Alto, but I uh, lived in Los Angeles for 10 years, and then we landed in Edinburgh a couple of years ago. 
came rain seeking. And everyone's like, why? <laughs> like, well, can you focus on the weather? And it's like, well, because there's sun in Los Angeles and there's rain in Edinburgh. Yeah. Do, do you want to look at the list? There's a lot more pros and cons to both areas. You can get beyond the sun, which, by the way, is important. But uh, it's an amazing city and, and area and, and really close to Europe. So we can done a little bit. But uh, the idea, once this pandemic has lightened up a bit, uh, pop over to different parts of Europe and capitals. And is it whether it's just my wife and myself or with the kids? Are you walking distance of the city center? Yes. One of the things I love about Edinburgh, let me give you a couple. Walking, you can walk anywhere. Um, assume I have to have some time to walk sometimes. So I'd be feeling, but it's so walkable and beautiful. And they have a lot, tons of great coffee. And I went back to Los Angeles because we have kids there a few months ago in last summer. And I'm like, what? I, I thought I remembered having good coffee. They're like, yeah. <laughs> no. Good, good pubs, good restaurants as well. Uh, yeah, not getting out as much to uh, not a whole lot of variety as we'd like. But yeah, a lot of, um, I just can't drink much anymore. I have like one glass of wine or beer. And the next morning, I'm like, oh, what? Uh, I just hit 50. So probably between that and the exhaustion. <laughs> Yeah, lots of good restaurants. I mean, like compared to Los Angeles, trillions of great, you know, I would say restaurants. I don't know about bars and pubs. I didn't do that much in LA. LA has so many more like fun, like activities, whether, because it's a huge city. There's so much stuff there and there's a beach. And, but really it was mostly, there's some personal reasons, um, but also to be close to all the European countries and different cultures, you kind of got tired of just being in Los Angeles, the same old, same old. And honestly, there's something about LA and going back really reinforced it. There's just kind of a, like a dead or blot energy. I don't know how better to describe it. Just like kind of like a ghost of its former self, especially after the pandemic. And in Edinburgh, we've just met great people. I mean, we, we knew good people in LA, but here like great people. The first time ever we're living on a block where all we know the neighbors and we're like friends yeah. with them. There's some kids in, in LA. Either we, yeah, we wouldn't even live next to people close enough. Like they weren't friendly or, I don't know. It's just different, so... But on the flip side, you know, when you're there in LA and there's always sunny, you don't take, you just kind of take it for granted. I don't know. I do not want to move back to LA. Visiting it for short periods is fine, but I really enjoy it here. You know, regular trips to Europe, make the most of that. That's, that's. Yeah. Bad. I mean, and we went for a week to Egypt with the family on a holiday. <laughs> We're like, and this is all kids, but, uh, and we want to do some more of that. Or looking at like, can we go to Spain and do like a horseback riding trip there and, I mean, trust me, like with a big family, even if it's only part of the family, like the six younger kids, it's such a pain in the ass to like plan stuff. But do you know what? People who are listening to this who have never heard you speak before will have just double taked when you said six younger yeah, kids. Younger, yeah. <laughs> as of the as opposed to the ten when you when you add them all up. Yeah. I know. Um, it's like it's such a weird number, right? Who would have ten kids in a big in big cities? Well, and just as well, just as well you can walk places, because otherwise you'd have to have a minibus. Well, we did have one in Los Angeles. We couldn't walk anywhere there. And here, uh, yeah, here we just have like an Alhambra Seat, which is like a small, like a seven-person minivan. Yeah. Because we couldn't get a bigger, like here in the UK, there's a limit. You can only have up to a nine-seater before you have a special license. Anyway, so we, you know, like walk, taxi, drive a lot. Um, I think driving is mostly for like just getting around. Like there's always like stuff to haul and we just went out to Loch Lomond for three days, like a little mini half-term break just to get a change of location. And we took some people, there are basically four or five people in the car with two dogs and bags and another five or six people in the train. 
because we took a couple, I think a, a friend of the family and a nanny came too. So we do that a lot. There's like some people in a car, some people on a train or like local plane. I don't know. It's always different. If I can take you back to your first book, which was Predictable Revenue. That, that was actually my second book, technically. Oh, was it? Yeah, most people oh, okay. have heard of Predictable Revenue, yeah. What was the first book then? CEO Flow. That's my practice book. Yeah, practice okay. book. You know, is there some good stuff in there? Yeah, there's just some great stuff. But I never really promoted it. It was more like, hey, can I write a book? How would it work? How would I publish it? And then Predictable Revenue was like the book I really focused on. And that was also when I got married in 2011. I had to support a family because my wife had two kids. That, so we got married. So we started with two kids. And so Predictable Revenue was like the book that was I was going to expand and build a business around. And so I put all the energy into that. Then uh, third book was actually called Sons Love Drawing Mutant Robot Battles with Dads. Right. A fun family book. <laughs> right. That was really a project with my son. Yeah. And again, that's just a fun thing to do with him. And the, f- the fourth one was the From Impossible to Inevitable, which so most people have heard about Predictable Revenue, but I recommend first the last one, the sequel called From Impossible to Inevitable, because it's a better book and for especially for founders or executives. So those are the those are the two kind of like business books that end up on the list and such. And you wrote that on the back of you wrote that with Mary. Uh, Predictable Revenue was with Mary Lou Tyler. Yeah. Did you work with her at Salesforce? No, I met her. So between Salesforce and starting Predictable Revenue, there was about five years of um, just kind of like doing random stuff. So I worked at a venture as an ER for a bit, and then I ended up doing some kind of like coaching, online coaching, and things. So one of the things I created, I was like explaining, hey, what do I want to do? I created something called uniquegenius.com. And that's also when I wrote the CEO Flow book. Right. I created uniquegenius.com. It's kind of how to help people make money through enjoyment, find something meaningful to them. And that's where I met Mary Lou Tyler, was through that. Uh-huh. And then we ended up partnering to create predictable revenue uh, to get the book out and, and do the business. And it's back in like 2011. Here we are. 10 years later, what in that whole model that you reference in the book from your time at Salesforce, how much has changed now and how much is still the same? It's a good question. You know, I feel like the world, it's not so much change. It's not, you know, some things that work don't go away. Just add, you layer on more things that do work. So some of the fundamentals that are still the same and even more so now, I mean, everyone focuses on outbound prospecting from predictable revenue, but that actually wasn't the main idea of the, I mean, the two other main, more important ideas were again, like predictable lead generation, of which outbound is one form. There could be others, right? And the other is sales specialization, right? Different people like a sports team. You have a sales team that has, you know, it's openers and closers and, and um, account managers or customer success or whoever you have specialist positions. And if you're, I don't know, 30 or under, Maybe this is, you grew up with it and you don't know anything different, but it wasn't that long ago. I mean, over the last 10 years, all of Silicon Valley, it wasn't just my book, but it's kind of it helped is evolved towards a specialist model of could be inbound lead response and prospectors and new business salespeople and account managers and, and more types of roles. Salesforce, you know, has a crazy number of different jobs in sales. That actually is the most fundamental thing that sales teams need to do to be successful is just trying to divide up what are those different jobs to be done and how is a team rather than each person doing everything, right? So each salesperson doing their own prospecting and, and lead response and closing and managing accounts, which a lot of companies still do today. How can you divide up, divide and conquer? They do. 
And you'd think you'd think the last twenty or thirty years of books on how to do it differently have sort of passed them by. Maybe sales leaders are particularly poor at reading. I don't. You know, it's hard. It's like change takes a lot of like energy and. Um, but so that idea still works, still needs to work. And I would even double down on that where the future is like more specialization because again, the world's getting busier. There's just more complexity. And so where we go is like one person just gets overloaded with there's too many things. Like in the prospecting job today, there's like more apps and more data sources and more channels and every job gets more complicated. So the one of the ways to kind of simplify it to make it more people more effective is to refocus their scope, right? So that's where I believe again in the future, just more types of specialist jobs working together in harmony is fundamental. Outbound has changed. Like again, outbound one sense hasn't changed, which is just people who are trying to set appointments and so on. And a lot of the metric, but one thing that has changed and even more so the last couple of years is the, the volume of outbound noise and emails and LinkedIn's is harder than ever to get to be seen and heard. And anecdotally someone, again, this one person just said, and this is just one person's story. You know, they used to have prospectors who would get, you know, 12 appointments a month or one of the best ones is getting 12 uh, or opportun- let's say opportunities a month because that's different appointments. And now they're struggling to get four a month. So what we're going to is, I think in the past, it was, you could have tons of SaaS companies and all the prospectors we could generally get, let's say, eight to 12 opportunities a month, or maybe it's like 10 to 20 appointments a month, just say, and it's, that was pretty, a pretty reasonable band. But with the world changing so much, everything's going towards kind of spectrums. And so you'll have a lot more who are able to do that same pace, maybe even better, but in this, there's like automate, so, but the variety of results is getting wider, right? So there'd be some people who could get a couple a month or maybe four. So it's not as dependable a band of results. It's just all over the map now and stuff changes. So again, I'm not in the weeds of outbound these days. And I think this is going to be the same for any lead generation channel they're doing, because again, one thing that everyone's dealing with, more noise, more overwhelm, more competition for attention. Sadly, not an improvement in quality. So the volume of outbound messages I get has stayed consistently high, but the quality doesn't seem to have gone up. People still sending me unfocused, badly written emails that they're hoping I will respond to. And I just wonder whether they get any responses at all ever. You know, it's a bit like the it's a bit like sort of night that you know Nigerian. Hello, I'm the king of ex king of Nigeria. Please send me your bank details. And you think would the spammers do that if nobody replied? And who the hell replies? Yeah. So yeah, there's all these the arms race, right? There's more automation to send more stuff. So there's more companies doing more outbound and inbound, right? So there's it's, again outbound is just one type of lead generation. Inbound, outbound, social. Well, what they call social inbound, whatever. But in every channel, there's more companies. So every year there's more companies. And so this is kind of this unstoppable fundamental change in society. There's going to be more technology, which creates more companies, right? Because the more ease, less challenge in creating companies or whatever you're doing. There's more channels to market to. Because again, there's always more options and there's more messaging because it's easier to send more stuff. So what we're left with is, Again, every year is going to be more, more companies and people sending more stuff through more channels. And so the recipients, we're all the same, are just getting more stuff from more channels. And so our attention is getting sliced more thinly, more thinly, more thinly, whether it's in our inbox, Instagram, DMs, LinkedIn, wherever you go. 
And so the consequence of that, and this is kind of things I'm thinking about working on right now, it's okay. Now, all these channels will still work to some extent, inbound, outbound, allbound, rightbound, blah, blah, you know, there's going to be some more winners and, you know, the difference between winners and losers will be, be greater, right? So it's not that they, just, they don't work, they'll be more challenging, you just have to be better. But this also comes back to my fundamental, so what I'm thinking about and have for years is, and where my interest lies is on the people side. I contributed to this whole mechanization of sales. <laughs> it's your fault. It's at your door. Well, I mean, <laughs> I can't. I, it is. I, I, I don't think I've ever met somebody responsible for an outbound sales organization that hasn't read your book. Yep. So, you know, I could take, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say like I'm responsible because I feel like, well, do I deserve all the credit in a good way and bad way? Well, uh, some, there's some percentage. Yeah. That's right. And, you know, I still stand by you. It made sense. It still makes sense. But the challenges between this and all the marketing, everything else, and just the way our culture has developed, at least in the States and kind of a first world culture is we've gone all the software, and this isn't just the revenue, but all the software has now made everything um, much more tends to be, hey, how can we automate things? How can we metric things? How can we measure things? Which are important, but we've gone too far towards kind of think about the spec going spectrums. And yeah, I mean, there used to be how, uh, like the mercenary side of business versus the relationship based in the past, maybe everything was based on relationships. Right. And now everything has gone too far to them. Everything's very mercenary. There's very little room in the relationship side. How often do you reach out to someone without just like one, because you uh, just want to see how they're doing versus you want to get something from them. Yeah. I mean, there's exceptions, but in general, so to me, there needs to be a rebalancing of balancing metrics and everything is so over tactic and over metric, but like, those are important, but with like actual people caring about actual people, whether it's a team or, or customers and how can people remotely do better, a better job of connecting with each other? Because now if we can't be in person as much and we're doing it remotely, again, it might be your customers. You're not seeing in person. It might be your team. You're not seeing in person. There's a lot less loyalty, engagement, um, trust, right? So you know, with recruiting, like how do you recruit the right people, retain them, attrition's much higher, inspire them. You know, if you're just some talking head on a Zoom, like are they really going to care? Like who's this a-hole? Something to do, you know? So there's a, that's the missing piece that I think about a lot is how to bring this human element of an emotional connection and, and bonding between people to, and also uh, it makes work easier and more enjoyable. And where this translates to is, okay, in lead generation, if you're just sending like emails, they're just going to be, it's harder than ever to stand out. But if you can start to put yourself out there as a person, now that might be your voice in email, the way you write them. It might be in video, in some, where there's some all social channels, it might be pictures. There's so many ways to kind of put your personality and you out there into the world. This is one version where that's something will help you stand out from the, the noise because one thing that we're, we're built to recognize are kind of like other people. Like, you know, there's a special part of our brain that recognizes just faces. And so we need to start to tap into non-businessy formats. I want mean, to not non-boring formats, but non-like flat. It's more like just flat, like going to LinkedIn. It's all very, to me, one-dimensional content. It just seems like it's all either humble bragging or, or ads right now. But if people post, it's very tactical stuff, which is great, right? Tactics are important. But all, there's so many tactics. Like you can, all that stuff is just online someplace. Like tactics, and I don't know if you feel this way, 
great. But now I've got like 20 cookbooks. I mean, there's a million cookbooks. Finding recipes isn't hard. I just Google recipes, but finding one that I like that resonates with me is hard. So that is this like, how do I find people who are relevant to me that I feel kind of a bond to a product? That's going to be the hard part because it's just swimming in the sea of noise. Again, this is what affects all these lead generation channels. Because if you'd rather just pumping out more stuff, kind of really going back to refigure how do we, like what is it about our ideal customer that they really, what they feel, what they think? How can we put stuff out there that calls to them, which might be partly the messaging, but also the way we deliver it, which could be the medium or the people. But I think the biggest missed opportunity for companies is they're not putting their executives online in any way. And there's lots of reasons for that. I mean, they have day jobs, they're busy, they're tired, overwhelmed, creating content, not about themselves too, is just like another job that just isn't urgent. It's important and urgent, so it just it's pushed off. Like, what would I say? Um, are people gonna care? All these things, and but that's going to have to change over the next years, I, because that's gonna be the next, one of the next areas that companies, leaders, or people can differentiate themselves in the sea of just sameness. Yeah, I was talking about that sort of sales and marketing theater with a client yesterday and sharing an example with uh, somebody who was a podcast guest a couple of years ago. I went up to visit them up in Vista and the CEO's assistant rang me the day before and she said, just checking to see you coming at three o'clock. I said, yep, I'm coming. All right. What's your hot beverage of choice? I'll boil the kettle at 10 to three. And if you could just park on the red carpet, follow the red carpet to the front door. Already I had some emotional connection to this business and I hadn't even been to see them yet. And it's just, without an emotion, nobody's going to take action. You see this marketing and it's like, nobody's ever bought a car because the make of tires on the car. And yet, particularly in B2B tech, it's like telling you the depth of the tread and the make of the tires and the composition of the rubber. And it's like, nobody buys a car for that reason. They buy a car because of how they, that it's going to make the neighbors hate them even more. When it's on the drive, right? There's an emotional thing. It's not about who made the tires. <laughs> Need to win that pissing contest. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yep. Um, yeah. And how, in, you know, look, you you serve on some boards of SaaS businesses. And you were saying earlier that that sort of, there's been some winners and losers in terms of conversion rates. What else has happened as a result of the pandemic? And does it go back? Or is just three days a week in the office. You know, I was in London last week. Last year, I was in Spain more time. Or the last couple of years, I've been in Spain more times than I've been to London. It's only two hours away. But I was in London last week, and it felt as though the station car park was nearly as busy as it was pre-pandemic, which oh, is the first time. Yeah. And London felt like it was back, not completely normal, but nearly normal. Yeah, airplanes have been packed for six months, right? Um, which is even harder because like, the support staff haven't been replaced British Airways has been a nightmare the last few times. So I think there's a temptation to think, oh, the pandemic's winding down. Let's go back to the way we were working. There's some changes, right? There's some people who are doing hybrid, like work from home, work from office. Like we're just, you know, it's almost like the tip of the iceberg. We've just seen, I don't feel like people really understand that the nature of work is completely, is completely changing. We don't really see in the next few years. Like I have an example. If I'm a worker, there is so much more opportunity out there that can be recruited by companies around the world. And there's so much less relationship strength to my own team. 
all right, I don't like my job. And it's a really competitive talent market, right? Hyper competitive now because of this. I can send my laptop into my old company, get a new laptop. I mean, basically working my same desk, same Zoom, different faces, higher paycheck. Before, I think companies had to say, oh, we have to treat our employees well, but you know, did you really have to? They didn't really have to because they were kind of limited in a smaller local pool. It was really harder for them to get at different jobs. There's just a lot more moats around the people. That's changed. So now you have to think about taking care of your people so they feel like they have a chance to be successful, that they are cared about, et cetera, et cetera. That's changing. That's a big change. There's another one, which is people in the pandemic are like, huh, what do I really want to do? Because what I've been doing really sucks. And they may not have changed yet. I mean, I was in this, I already knew what I was doing. I didn't like it for a while. But it might take a few months or a few years for that to ripple through. It's not an instant, oh, I've been in software sales. I don't like this job. Or I've been a coder. Or I've been an art, whatever. Like, it might take one or five years for that to to ripple through to, to a change to them evolving, but that is still out there. It's like this underwater tsunami that we haven't really seen break the surface. And I think that's also part of the reason where I, I feel like there's all these executives or almost all the executive executives I talk to or so many, it doesn't matter. There's like a, an overwhelming exhaustion that they're in, right? The amount of responsibility in the remote work, you know, working remotely, it's, um, I don't know, it's like it's ungrounding, I don't know. Is that a term? How would you describe it? There's a term. You know, most of the work I do is face-to-face business coaching. And so we went into the pandemic and it all went virtual and I got used to it, but I'd get to the end of the day and it was draining. You know, you pour energy into the screen, but somehow you get nothing back. Whereas face-to-face, it's an energy exchange. Yeah, you're right. And so... We went over to Spain to do a kickoff with a new client in Spain. And it was like, ah, you know, then you had this really sharp contrast week on week of having done Zoom for three months and then in person. And I reckon in person is probably, or Zoom's probably maybe 70% as effective, I think, than face-to-face if you're doing, you know, meaningful team building exercises. The strategy exercises you can do with a team that has a high level of trust because they can bring that conflict onto zoom but if they don't already have a high level of trust and conflict people are just going through the motions it's hard to challenge that on on a screen yeah so like that's i like the way you describe it yep it's just something it's time efficient but draining to be on screens too much i definitely get getting energy from people in person and one other thing i mean there's other things going on but one of the other things um people have more time but they're more tired right and there's this overwhelm around like being on screens it kind of creates more, I almost like this feeling to me of like too much energy in my head. It's not, like you said, it's, it gets stuck. It's not able to bounce it off people the same way and get headaches. And like, I think three hours of zoom a day, I realized at some point, and I do a lot less now, but like a couple of years ago. And after that, I just, and toast. So there's a lot of just this ad- adapting to this new world. And well, how much do I do remote versus in person? Like this spectrum, it's kind of like in the past, there was male, female right? Or there was straight gay. And now we're like, oh, there's a whole spectrum, you know, there's a spectrum of male, female, like 200 pronouns, or on whether you're gender or sexual orientation. Well, in the work, there's another spectrum, which is how much in person, how much remote, early, late, there's this huge opportunity, but it's also a lot of confusion and like, well, what fits me and my team. So all this uncertainty of kind of like, what am I doing? And, and that takes a lot of like, 
energy that's like, eating in the back of people's you know, their brains or something. And like in the uncertainty in the world and the anxiety around this and the overwhelm, it's like an energy tax going on for people that did, wasn't there the same way where can, they had their system. You went to the office, you just, you knew what you to do. You just did it. And now it's like, I don't know. And that's it's costing everyone. Again, we're still adapting to all this. It's going to, it's going to be a while, maybe a few years before things really, not even settle into a new system, but we're not going back. Some companies will go back successfully to kind of the way it was with like most people in the office all the time. Cause that for some businesses, they need that. But most companies will re rebalance with a new, you know, system of some people in the office and some people not, or all remote or like hybrid or, the, you know, kind of finding their place on the spectrum. Yep. And what I've noticed is that you get into a rhythm and there'll be some other thing that happens. It'll like shake everything up. You got to refine your new rhythm. What I believe is more um, the number of shocks and changes to the tour, the systems will, can, will increase. I don't see that any reason the world would settle down. Uh, if you look to the history, the pace of kind of sh system shocks, small or large, only has increased, I think. And do you have, when you speak to these executives, do you see any people, some coping strategies rising to the surface that are good tips? Yeah, well, there's a guy named Dave Wilson who's a very senior executive at a Cisco division. He runs worldwide sales for a billion-dollar Cisco division called Internet of Things. And I know a few years ago, he really was going through a whole bunch of, you know, his own like depression, anxiety, and kind of that. And what really he says, one of the things that really worked for him, a lot of just basic self-care. First of all, basic self-care is one thing. And for some people, like for me, sleep is number one, makes the biggest difference. And again, we still have younger kids and it's hard. So I'll list mine first. So sleep and then exercise and then eating probably or like food kind of like the three things that make the biggest obvious change in my mental, emotional state and capacity to deal with stuff. And for Dave, I don't remember what he, I know some practices. I think one of his was like meditation, mm -hmm. but you know, he found some things for him, just basic self-care that would kind of put gas in the gas tank. And I don't know about you, but you know, if you're tired, like I see myself or my wife or kids when they're tired and they just snap easy and they don't have as much capacity to deal with uncertainty, doubt, fear. And for me, I, I can say sleep, it's easy to say, oh, sleep, but like it's challenging because no matter, you know, I have to get up most mornings at six for like the school stuff and I could go to bed at 10, but then some kid always wakes up or a dog barks or we have teenagers in Los Angeles on a different time zone that couldn't talk to you earlier. So it's, it's challenging. Sleep. I, I'm with you. I think sleep's the biggest one. We've currently got a sick pig in the kitchen. So that's been disturbing my sleep. <laughs> yep. It's got, it got pneumonia. So it's currently rehabilitating in the kitchen. Yeah. And there's always something, so, <laughs> you know, kind of doing your best. And I've, I've danced around meditation. I used to do more, a lot more meditation. I don't know if I want to re go back and redo that. But for me, like sleep by far is like the biggest thing that just is night and day. Self-care, which historically has not been a strength of corporate workers, especially executives because of the demands, right? Because the priority was like, you know, hours and success, whatever the cost. And a lot of people have families, you know, myself, like families to support. And, you know, for me, even more, you know, so it's like, okay, I have to support a family. And so having that stability of income or a job actually could be sometimes the most beneficial thing, even at the expense of sleep or self-care. Everyone's a bit different, but like it hasn't been a strength of corporate workers. And, but that is something also has to change where to me, another premise 
you know, say like the old precious resources of the past really were time and money. Like, do you have funding or do you have time to work? And that has, has changed, is changing. I think it all depends on kind of the job you're doing and things. But, you know, for especially for executives or like knowledge workers or creatives or whatever you want to call people who need to use ideas as well, it's the precious resources are energy and trust, not time and, and, and money. Because like, do I have the energy to have, like, if I'm tired, I, I can't have ideas, right? Or it's hard for me to interact with people. I'm just not going to be able to create that connection with myself or others or have ideas that are beyond just like getting through the day. Because I've, I've had lots of those days. If, and nothing in business, nothing moves faster than the speed of trust. Apple puts out a new phone, you're going to buy it. You don't have to go read all the reviews and like, oh, you, you know, like Apple and iPhone, right? So those are not things that are the linear, like we've kind of moved from this linear to, I don't know, nonlinear world where putting in X hours, you think, oh, if I do X hours of work, I get Y results, right? So yes, but now again, special executives, we're moving towards, I want to get Y results, but I don't really know how I'm going to get there. I have to kind of use more of my intuition or feeling to figure that out. And that's scary for people because it's different. Yeah. Like I say, one other parallel is in the schooling system. When I talk to my wife, you know, we're like, do we want to, we've always had liked the idea of homeschooling, but not the reality of it. Homeschooling, but not by you. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> like, I, I don't, we don't have the time, energy, or desire. And also the range of ages and like, ugh, all our kids are in, whether they're public or private, like regular schools, except for the youngest ones. And, you know, we go back, one of the things around homeschooling it's like, hey, what if we got a farm someplace? And okay, there's pros and cons. Like, you know, one of the things about schools, and there's lots to like about schools. I'll be the first one. Um, and there's lots to like about jobs, right? Anyone, that, you know, when you hear bloggers complain about, oh, the corporate office, like, do you want a regular paycheck? Please, people to work with. Like, there's a lot of good things. But one of the things that is tempting is that when you have a school or a job, you know what you need to do to show up. They're like, do these things. If you do A, B, and C, you will get to D. It's all laid out. You don't really have to think that much. You have to do the work. But you don't really have to like use your creativity. And there's exceptions. Okay, you might need to come up with a project or you don't have to figure out how to use your time. So it's tempting because you kind of have that laid out for you. But now, again, people have their own home. They're working at home. And part of this is like, oh, how do I use my time? Like, what do I do? Right? I'm not being, I don't have to be told what to do all day. So I kind of have to figure this out myself. And I think this is the kind of example around rather than going to school or a job where people kind of tell you what you need to do every day, even if you're an executive, you pretty much have like a formula laid out versus you're kind of creating your own true new world. Like, what do you want to do? And even in an executive's case here, it's like, what if you're not working nine to five, five days a week? Like, how are you going to use your time as an executive? How are you going to lead your team? It's not so much, again, we're getting out of this predictable revenue idea of, oh, I just need a formula to follow to be successful. That is one thing that is, is change, has been changing. It is going to change further. It's like rather than, hey, there's a formula to follow, a cookbook, I need to come up with my own formula. And that is scary too. It's interesting because I think there's a parallel there between when you were saying the pandemics had this impact where some people seem to be doing better and some people are doing worse and the, and the band is broadened. That executive ability to compete or do their job has also broadened. Some people will will do really well. They will find a way through this new 
that and this this new world order will suit them and other people will find it a real challenge and and their performance will be much less good yeah there's a lot of benefits to a nine to five schedule you don't have to figure out you know i remember taking not taking a job because it was work from home years ago and it was like i don't trust myself to take this job i really need to go into an office and and have some structure because you know it's just not otherwise i probably do no work yeah you know again going back to spectrums in schools you know there's lots of kinds of kids we had one two kinds of schooling we had kind of in-person schooling and we had homeschooling or truancy and now we're going to, we are going to, I don't feel like it's really there, but have a lot more types where it might be higher, same thing, like hybrid schools, or it's a lot slower to adapt. So there's a lot of like new ideas that we, I, I've seen lots of new ideas around schooling that hasn't really, I don't really buy it yet. But the challenge again is like, we have all these opportunities, like how do you want to work? How do you want to school? Like which one's a good fit for you or your kids? Like it's that so much opportunity, but so much overwhelm and how do you navigate that? I had a guy on the podcast called Casper Craven and he took his family out of school and they went around the world, sailed around the world on a yacht. And he said, you know, they talked to the teachers before they went and they got all the books. And I said, and then did you do any work? He went, no, we just said, sod it. It'd be, let's not do that. And so he said his daughter, every time they went into a harbor, his daughter found the local bakery, worked out how much bread and cakes were, then went around all the yachts in the harbor and said, would you like me to deliver you breakfast tomorrow? And he said, the fact that she worked out how to create commercial enterprise wherever they landed and made friends wherever they landed you just went you know what that's what this year was about and her english and maths will catch up it'll be fine yeah and you know for a lot of people that yeah that'll work for a lot of people that's not going to work for them it's kind of like you know there's a million cookbooks out there you want to be or vegan or paleo or flexitarian or pescatarian or like they're all they're all great for but are they great for you like they're all great options some people need to eat meat some people need to eat beef. Some people don't need to, I mean, where do you fit? Some kids should need to be in like a regular school and some need to not. Yeah. That's hard for us. We have so many different kids. That's why we're just like, ah, oh, we don't know. <laughs> we don't <laughs> what, know. I don't what, know. Aaron, what is it you know now that you wish you'd known earlier? Yeah, no, I, I just asked this question. Like, I'm like, I, I don't even know. I don't even know. You sometimes, part of it is you just, there's so much you can read about books or hear from people and like, you kind of know, think about the formula, but there you just you can't think your way to success. You just kind of have to like live your, your you live your way there. And I don't know how to explain it. Right? There's no formula for success in life. There just isn't. Like whatever works today may not work tomorrow. Except for to me, I just okay. What can I do today? Kind of my best today, best my bestest moment. Something will happen tomorrow. Might be good. Might be bad. I'll just deal with it. Whatever happens every day, I'm just taking every day as it is. It doesn't mean I'm ignoring the future. Sometimes in the moment, I'm like, hmm, I need to make a plan for something. I need to plan a vacation. Sometimes, no, it's just, I'm much better now at just dealing with today's problems today and not, I see this in one of my teenagers. It's very easy to go into the future or past and like try to solve all these problems that don't exist yet or all these old problems that aren't there yet. It's like you almost, I don't, I used to burn a lot of energy on like wasting, uh, waste the energy on solving problems that were irrelevant to me uh-huh. versus like what really is important today and like what should I be spending my, my time on and I feel like I'm really a lot more heart-centered or intuitive based now, a lot less like logical. So I don't, that's probably not useful advice to my past self, but that's kind of the best way I'm trying to think about how would I live differently from the past. Other than reading predictable revenue and from impossible to inevitable what other books have inspired you along on your journey or 
you're reading or you think people should pick up? Yeah. Well, um, first you mentioned, I do recommend that people start with the from impossible to inevitable book, read them back to front. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's been read the number one SAS book. Uh, it's a better book and, and more recent, but beyond after that, you know, it's weird a year or two ago, you know, my, my mother sent me an article about uh, an Amazon author named Dakota Kraut. And he was writing these, they call lit RPG books. Um, and he's doing really well. And so I was like, Oh, interesting guy. I'll check these out. Now I'd seen this term lit RPG before. And I was like, eh, this is, I'm not going to bother. This sounds kind of weird. What it means is literature role-playing game. Now I liked games. And when I was young, Dungeons and Dragons, everything else. And, you know, and I've always liked science fiction, fantasy books, but I was like, eh, lit RPG. That sounds weird. I'm not going to bother. But I read one of his books. I'm like, wow, these are really good. And it really got me into this whole genre. So for probably a year, like almost all the books I've been reading have been this lit RPG. Um, there's some big authors who were like, I'd never heard of them, but there's so many great, there's infinite number of great books on Amazon now. There's just all the independent. So it's just interesting. And for example, this guy, his name is Dakota Kraut. Oh, yeah, the first one's called The Ritualist from the, uh, it's a lot of syllables, The Completionist Chronicles. And it's like, wow. So it's basically like a, a fast, a lot of these are fast moving stories. Could be science fiction, fantasy, but they incorporate these elements of gaming. You know, it's interesting. They're enjoyable to read, but I've also noticed, hmm, it's kind of like when these characters get like levels or stat points or like different things, new ships, like you get that little dopamine hit as if you, when you're playing a game and you get, you know, the next thing or like the next social media post. So it's I wonder if anyone's actually studied the psychological impact of, I don't know, it's just interesting, but the, there are really enjoyable books for the most part, but Dakota Kraut's one of the well-known ones, and he, uh, he's done a lot of great ones, but there was the Completionist Chronicles, I think is the main series, and, and also the one called like the Dungeon Core, let's start with. Well, that, as I said to you earlier, is something that I had never heard of before. And I, but Me I'm, neither. But now I am in, entirely intrigued, and I will go, in fact, I have gone and bought his uh, completionist chronicles book number one and yeah. see what that's if you like. like science fiction fantasy like i think there's these are it's just the same thing a little bit different but they're great i just i'm interested to see the like knowing that i'm expecting this dopamine hit to see how that to see how that plays out if it works yeah, yeah. let me know i've had one to go back and like can i write some stories sometime you know to write some like stories whether my kids are fun to do novels i've had this i would like to write a novel someday it's always been way back. I like, eh, I don't know if I could do it. I don't have the energy. So I can't, I can't say I will do it at this point, but it's, this also kind of felt like an, uh, an element. If I did my own stories, an element I would include. I don't know. We'll see. I have no idea where that'll go. Are there any sales books that you like? No, I don't really, <laughs> I just, no. that's fine. I don't, there's probably a lot of good, I mean, there's so many good ones. I just can't read them. I don't remember them. And my head's not there. Like again, for years, I think five or 10 years, I just can't, I don't have a head. I have, it's like trying to read business books or sales books is kind of like I have a full stomach. I'm like, Ugh. and I try to eat more. I just, I can't, it's just, and maybe it's all out. I have so much in my head. I just can't in, take in things. I will say one other interesting book that I am reading now, it's called 4,000 Weeks. I don't remember who recommended it, but it's more kind of on like, you have 4,000 weeks in your life and just different ways to think about. It's just interesting. So that one, been enjoying four thousand weeks. Oliver Berkman. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. It's good in yeah. it. It is good. Yeah. Have it's, you read that one? I have, and it for a while I used to have, you know, the new page on my browser. I used to have a death clock on there, just 
to try and give me some perspective. So I, I think that whole, where am I on the journey? Well, look, I'm probably more than halfway through my journey. And so are you spending your time on things that are worth spending your time on? And, and somebody said to me recently, somebody said it to me, and then I read a similar sentiment elsewhere, which is that at a certain point in your career, instead of things on your CV, it's things in your eulogy. You know, it's like about legacy and what happens, you know, to those around you rather than fighting your way to the top of something. Yeah. You know what I think is lost in all this? And I think it's, it's I'm glad you said this. It's so key. Going back to like people reshaping their work. And I've struggled this for, for years, which is refining out like rather than doing things. And this is another point in this book, 4,000 Weeks. Rather than doing things to get something else, like I'm only working to support the family. I'm only living this life so I have a good eulogy. I'm only doing this for the CV. How, what are the things that you like to do just because you like to do them and no other reason? All right. What are those things? Like for me, I don't like read these, uh, read basically like reading books. Yep. There's no benefit at all in the, other than in the joy that it gives you in the doing of the thing. Yep. And I like talking to people, meeting people. So and I feel like, huh, I like jigsaw puzzles and I've, I've been thinking about this for a few years. Like what are the things I would, I just like to do that would give me energy because I have such little small slots and things and I like, uh, like dates, my like, what, you know? So, but that's an important way to reflect too on, you think, Hey, what do I want to do? What kind of life do I want to live? Like, what do you actually like to do just because you like to do it? I like drinking coffee. There you go. That's why you're still in Edinburgh. Great coffee shops. Yeah, it's true. Much better than Los Angeles. <laughs> my experience. Aaron, it's been absolutely magic chatting to you today. Thank you very much indeed for coming on. All right, Dom. Yeah. Pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.